rest in the midst of storms. You know, storms often show up without warning. Storms can fill you with fear. Storms can threaten to take you under. Storms can be those things that can cause such a, such a moment of paralyzation inside of you that you literally stop and do nothing. You would kind of hope that when a storm comes on that you'd find yourself running away, but oftentimes storms hit and you find yourself just paralyzed. You know the storms I'm talking about, right? Not necessarily the physical storms, but I'm talking about the storms that hit you in life, the, the relationship storms, the financial storms, the emotional storms, the, the, the storms from the past, and all the things that seem to hit us and hurt us in so many ways. This morning, the series I want to start, it's a four-week series, and I'm calling it Sila. Everyone say Sila. Sila. How many of you guys have bumped into that little word when you're reading in the Psalms or maybe in Habakkuk? Can you say to yourself, like, I have no idea what that means? Some of your Bibles, if you're using a modern translation, don't even say the word sila. They say something like interlude. <laughs> and that's a shame because the word sila means so much and the word interlude means so little. <laughs> the word sila literally is this, is this beautiful moment of reflection, of, 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 of stopping life long enough to say, what's going on? Uh, any music people in here? You, you recognize the musical notation up there, right? The fermata sitting up on top, the bird's eye, the fermata of this musical staff. Musical staff sitting in here, the quarter note rest, and a fermata. How many know what a fermata means? Right? A fermata literally means this. It means as the conductor or the director of music is, is doing their directing and they get to a fermata, it literally means all time of one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four goes out the window. And however long that conductor wants to hold his arms up, you have to continue holding whatever that note is. You just hold on to it and get this, as long as necessary. Get the picture here. This is a rest with the fermata. You know what I means? It means two words. Stop it. Settle down. Rest now. How long? As long as necessary. How could you be talking about this rest in the midst of a storm? How is it entirely possible to, to, to start a series dealing with the storms of life and yet have it being up on the screen as that of a, of a musical notation of a rest or a pause or a slow down? Because I believe that in the storms of life lie this potential of calm that so many of us miss. I think in the context of storms that hit us relationally, financially, uh, uh, in your memories of your past, all of the things emotionally hit us, oftentimes those storms cause us to, to, to want to, to be anxious and get frantic and, and lose our minds. And yet oftentimes, if we slow down long enough, we can actually see the calm in the storm. There's something that God wants us to live in. Do you realize that God actually created you to live peacefully? Every one of us longs for peace. We'll give anything for peace. We'll drink anything, touch anything, uh, be a part of anything, uh, do whatever we can possibly do just to get a moment of that peace. We were created to desire peace. We were created to desire the fermata. <laughs> we were created to desire this moment of, of, of just rest and reflection. Uh, get this, the word sila shows up in the Bible several times. 
I love this. Literally means to pause and think about what you just read. Uh, here's a couple examples. Psalms chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 say this. Answer me when I call, O God who declares me innocent. Take away my distress, have mercy on me, and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make the groundless accusations? How long will you pursue these lies? Selah. Let me read this next one. And as I do, I want you to just to imagine, after the reading of this particular passage, that imagine yourself just stopping long enough and going, hmm. <laughs> That's what Selah means. Hmm. Just pausing long enough to absorb it. I just, I kind of feel like there should be like a sila in life throughout the course of a day. Just a sila that you'd bump into or fermata just to show up there and say, pause and think. Because too many of us don't pause, we just emotionally react. Imagine, listen to this. Psalm chapter 24, verses 8 through 10. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. For who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is this king of glory. Selah. You just want to pause and think like, what? He's the king of glory. He's the one who's strong and mighty. See, too often we read our Bibles and we, we rush past the sila. We, rush, we move beyond the fermata. We stop and, and just long enough to catch our breath to read another line. Instead of stopping and saying, wait a second, there's a reason for this, this pause. Uh, uh, my, my, my daughter, she's, uh, her and her husband are pregnant right now. And, and there's, this, there's this phrase that you may have heard of called a pregnant pause. <laughs> Right? You know, you know, pregnancy, my daughter, there's this expectation uh, we had on our family. I didn't know there was such a thing, by the way. Last week we had a thing called the reveal party. How many have no idea what a reveal party is? Yeah, I was that guy. I had no idea. A lot of people showed up at my house to see who the, 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 the sex of this grandchild is going to be. Yay. We know it's a little girl. It's going to be awesome. She's going to be beautiful, but it's a girl. And there you go. It's a thing. I'm telling you. Reveal parties. Tell a 50-year-old guy that. All my other 50-year-old brothers are like, a what? I said, I got the same reaction when I looked in the mirror. A what? So we paid some money and had a party. There you go. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> Psalm 49, 15. But as for me, God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of death. Selah. Mm. I love that. I feel like we miss so much. In our Bibles, when we don't read the whole thing. <laughs> See, what if God intended you to find a sila in the midst of your storm? What if somehow, in the midst of, 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 a, of an empty bucket and a full boat of water, and you're trying to bail this whole thing out and trying to say, I gotta get this thing, I'm gonna drown, I gotta unbail the, I gotta bail the water out of this thing, and you just hear the Lord say, It's time, sila. That's what so many of us live like. We actually think that the, the, the bailing out of our boats is all up to us. See, the real beauty in this whole walk with God is, is that if you're surrendered to him, he's the one that's going to bail the boat. And we get to live in peace. So you know, if I was the devil, what I would try to do is convince you that salvation comes from God, but the responsibility of keeping you saved is up to you. And I would say, you got to keep on doing everything all the time because if you don't, you will go to hell. 
And you just get anxious and nervous and fearful, and you can't even, you're living the whole time just worried, worried, worried. And I'm just telling you, if I was the devil, I'd do that. Aren't you glad you're not listening to the devil? You feel the anxious moment when God would say, listen, I created you for peace. Selah. Rest. See, that's how God made us. The problem is that so few of us actually live in Selah. So many of us just, just move from one thing to the next because we always have to be in the process instead of just saying, God, I want to live in your peace. I just want to live in sila. I just want to live this, this fermata life. And I just see the hands of God as the director with his hands up saying, don't stop. I told you, I told you to just hold that rest. And he's got his hands up and he's saying, I told you to hold the rest. And we're like, yes, God, but keep it moving. He's like, no, no, I want you to just rest. I'm not done. I'm not done in the midst of this storm, teaching you how to rest. See, storms are, well, predictable. Storms, well, are going to come. <laughs> storms when hit you when you, don't, when you don't know they're coming. Hmm. But there's peace that's to be found. There's a calm that's to be discovered. Through your Bibles, open it up to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I love this. And I love the Bible. Mark chapter 4. Listen, it takes place, Mark chapter 4 takes place at a time when Jesus gets done speaking to a very, very large crowd. I mean, upwards to thousands of people out on the Sea of Galilee shore. Now, the interesting thing about this is I don't think Jesus started preaching from the Sea of Galilee shore. I think he actually started inland a little bit, but this crowd of thousands kept on kept on scooching in and trying to get closer to him, backing him up to the point where his heels were on the water's edge. <laughs> so much so that he was like, hey guys, you keep on pushing me into the water. I'm not going to preach inside the water, so I'm going to hop on a boat. He gets on a boat. He's just offshore, and, and he's able to preach to thousands of people. This is where Jesus literally touches a few things like this. He starts to preach about the farmer sowing seed, the lamp that's not hidden under a bushel, grain that grows, faith that's compared to a mustard seed. Literally, Jesus is preaching to thousands of people. He's in this moment, and in this process of, of getting done preaching, probably days on end of preaching, it wasn't just that moment, it was definitely hours for sure, but days on end, it says that, that he began to preach and answer questions, and he was like on full time. Interestingly enough, in Mark chapter 4, towards the end, literally says this, in chapter 4 and verse 35, it says that as evening came, listen to this, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Pause. Why would Jesus say, there's a whole huge crowd here listening to me preach. Let's get out of here. <laughs> I thought he was about the crowds. I thought Jesus wanted to make a big church. I mean, he had them all there. You know, you know why Jesus wanted to go to the other side of the lake? Because he was whooped. Because he was tired. I don't know if he realized that. You know, studies tell us, they, they, tell, they tell me, <laughs> they might tell you, but that preaching a sermon, a 30-minute sermon, is equivalent to working an eight-hour day. Yeah, don't know. That's what they tell you. Over and over again, right? So, so Jesus went from one sermon to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. I mean, literally hours. You know what he was? Super tired. You know what this shows me? This particular passage shows me more of Jesus than almost any other passage. Amazes me. Because in this passage, you're going to see Jesus' humanity and his divinity. You're going to see his complete humanness, and you're also going to see his complete sovereignty. I love this passage because it has this, this juxtaposition of the both of them in the same boat. 
I love the fact that we see Jesus' humanity. You know, when Jesus was tired and hungry and weary and thirsty, well, we see all of this stuff happen because Jesus was fully man. I don't know if you realize that. Jesus was born Mary, of Mary in that process, inspired by the Holy Spirit, or filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, that, that whole idea. You understand Christmas, right? That's what happened. Jesus born a virgin, the whole thing, right? Of a virgin Mary, that whole thing. Jesus literally was fully man. Everyone say fully man. We kind of forget that. We kind of think Jesus is just always kind of man. He was full on man. He got super tired. He got angry. He got, he, got, he got excited. He cried. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that shows us the humanity of Jesus. But Jesus was also fully God. Say fully God. Can't leave one without the other. He's the fully God man. And if you can figure that out, you got one on me. I don't know. All I know is there's all kinds of representation of him being fully man and being fully God. How does that happen? Eh? In the Greek. Eh? I don't know, right? All I know is this, is it is. There's too many indicators in this Bible. You're going to see here in this one verse, in this one chapter, you're going to see over and over again his complete humanity. Jesus literally was pulling away from the crowds because he was tired. He was exhausted. He needed some time. He needed some reprieve. He just needed to catch his breath. He just needed a moment to say, okay, hang on a minute. I mean, you know what it's like when you're at work and you don't get a lunch break? Over and 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 over. You ever been around those kind of people? You ever been around people who are just takers? Like they're not givers? Don't shake your head. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Jesus' life. <laughs> people were taken from him, right? You only bump into Mary and Martha in that moment when they're actually like serving him at some level. And you think like, oh, good for you. Like two humans in the Bible like served him, seems as though. But we see Jesus, people always taking and taking. So he wanted to get away for a minute. I mean, even, remember the time when Jesus also, a different time when he got into a boat, the Bible says, he finds out that his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded. And he says to his disciples, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. He went to the other side of the lake to get some rest. The Bible says 5,000 of his closest friends walked around the other side of the lake and met them there on the shore. <laughs> and they're like, you know why he was going to the other side of the lake? To mourn the loss of his cousin. I mean, he's just a human, sad, dealing with the loss of that, just like you and me, fully man, fully God. This particular time, the Bible says Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Verse 35. Verse 36 says this. He was already in the boat because he was preaching. Remember that? He was already in the boat, so they started out, leaving the crowds behind them, parentheses, although other boats followed. Hmm. But soon a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break in until the boat was nearly full of water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Frantically, they woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? When he woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves and said, quiet down. Suddenly the wind stopped. There was, such, there, there was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you, still have, do you still not have faith in me? They were filled with awe and said to themselves, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Man, I love this. There's so many things in this particular passage that show us, that show us the the humanity of Jesus and the godness of Jesus. Do you realize that in all of our human ingenuity, in all of our super smart uh, computers and, and super brilliant people, 
do you realize that we have still not figured out how to stop a storm? Do you realize that we don't know how to um, stop a flood? We don't really know how to make rain not happen. We don't know how to make earthquakes not take place. We don't know how to make tornadoes stop. We're so smart. We can't do any of that stuff. Here's what we can do. We can give you a little bit of warning. That's often not so great. We can do our best. It's amazing to me that God chooses this moment in time to, to get this, to express to a bunch of career fishermen who were career fishermen's children and who probably were career fishermen's grandchildren who lived on the Sea of Galilee, who knew nothing but fishing, who knew nothing but the Sea of Galilee, who had been on a storm probably their entire life on the Sea of Galilee all the time, probably more than you know, to show us this moment of God's ability to be God in Jesus and stop a storm dead in its tracks. See, I think sometimes we read this as a, a Sunday school participant with the felt board, and we're just like, yeah, 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 Jesus, stop the storm. Do you really think about the magnitude of this thing? Like Jesus full on was like asleep. Can you imagine how tired he was that he slept through that thing? The, the storm of their life. <laughs> and he's snoozing in the back, right? You know, he was whooped. Hmm. I love this. Sea of Galilee. Here's a, here's, a, here's a little bit of science for you. Sea of Galilee is probably the most studied freshwater lake in the planet. I don't know if you realize that, but it's probably the most studied freshwater lake on the planet. Scientists from all over the world are interested in its properties. In fact, if you want to go look at some things, not now in Jesus' name, right? if you want to look at something, it's not called the Sea of Galilee today. It's called the Lake Kinneret, K-I-N-N-E-R-E-T. Go look at a couple of YouTube videos and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's literally the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place, but it's a new city and all that stuff. So it's just called something a little different. Love this. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long, about six, seven miles wide. All depends on the time of year. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, 682 feet or so below sea level. Right? So imagine, listen to this. It's situated in a bull-shaped valley. The Sea of Galilee is. It's surrounded on three sides by hills, ranging from a hill that's 1,500 feet to a hill that's 10,000 feet. It's important you know this. The reason that the lake is so studied and so unique is because of the weather patterns that hit it. Out of nowhere, storms can swell from 5 feet to 10 feet high. Out of nowhere. Listen to this. From the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean Sea is 30 miles to the west of this. Mediterranean Sea winds come in off the Mediterranean Sea, go down into the valley because it's 600 and some odd feet below the sea level. The Mediterranean winds come down. Those are kind of moisture-driven winds. They come down into this valley. That When they hit the, the, the edge of the, 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 the side of the hill, they speed up and head down towards the lake. Listen to this. On the north, the cold winds from Lebanon, where there are snow-capped mountains, Mount Hermon, so the, those winds come down as well because gravity well pull things down. And so the winds from Lebanon come down. Those are the mountains that are around 10,000 feet. And then up over on uh, uh, the Golan Heights on the other side, the winds come of the Sirocco winds from the desert come in and they all converge in this moment. So wind is coming down, coming down, coming down. Literally every day between noon and 6 p.m., you can go there. We've been there twice now. And it, you, between noon and 6 p.m., somewhere around 11 o'clock in the morning, it looks nice and calm. Sun is shining. Out of nowhere, sun's still shining. Waves. Like huge. Like crazy. So nearly every day that happens. Today, I don't know if you realize that. 
literally one of the most studied bodies of water on the planet. It's amazing to me that God would use that one particular lake in all of the planet to reveal his glory then and now. I mean, it's crazy to me that we just like don't see that stuff. I just want to tell you, like, look up a few things. It's, it's, it's literally, there's no other lake like it. It's teeming with fish. I don't know that because of all the swirling that's going on. There's algae and all that stuff that gets swirled up. Algae means fish, fish eat. I mean, there, there's record stories of guys bringing in a 600-pound net haul of fish. It's nuts. I mean, these guys will do this thing. It's not a very big lake. I mean, we're like Lake Taps. I mean, it's like it's just not that big. But we get this picture, right? 13 miles, about seven miles wide. I love this. Polly and I were uh, out with some friends. Uh, Keith LaFon were with us as well. There's a couple others who are here with us. Uh, you know, I we were here. We were at the Sea of Galilee last fall, just several months ago. We were out there, and I, I would show you the video, but it was, it, it was, too, it was too windy. <laughs> you couldn't really hear it. But, I, but I, I'm, this is how your faith-filled pastor, you know, who believes the Bible, I promise you. Uh, but, but come on, right? I was like, I remember pulling the guy aside who was like driving the boat, and I said, Okay, level with me. He goes, what? And I pulled my phone out and I recorded it. If you want the recording, come see me. I'll show you. But I said, does it really happen? He goes, what do you mean? I said, you know, like out of nowhere, storm. And he goes, you have no idea. So I pull out my phone and I'm like, all right, tell me. He goes, I'd show you pictures, but I don't have my phone with me. He goes, we're out here. And the next thing you know, five, six, ten foot swells. I was like, where? And I'm telling you, he, I, I, did a little, I did a little science research yesterday and found out these three, these three wind tunnels, the hot, the wet, the cold, all come and converge in one spot there at that moment. And this crazy storm happens. Why is that so important? Because some of you have been hit with a storm that you're not planning on. Some of you get hit with storms that are hot. Some of you get hit with storms that are cold. Some of you get hit with storms and you're at the lowest place of your life, just like the Sea of Galilee. It's this beautiful picture that God's trying to show us. In the middle of your low place, a storm hits you. Don't you love how the Bible like grace these great pictures? And he's trying to tell you that, listen, in the middle of your crazy storm in life, that God's going to be there. The storms show up, and, and, and they, they, they batter a boat around. I and mean, we were just out on the Sea of Galilee, just doing a little tour across it, and it got pretty windy. It, you know, it got pretty windy. It wasn't like we weren't out there. We were on a tour boat, so it wasn't like we were out there in the middle of a storm. But, but it got pretty windy just being out there. And literally, when, he says, when they say that it gets that stormy, you can imagine. Crazy storms happen. Just like in your life. Storms show up when you least expect it. Sometimes show up when you do expect it. You're not so sure how to embrace a storm when they hit you, but they hit you, and you can't say you like it, but they hit you. And just as some sort of frequency happens on the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret, but we see this idea of, of storms just happening and wreaking havoc in our lives. The question I have is, is where is the calm in the storm? How are we supposed to journey this? Where's the sila in the storms of our life? Hmm. By the way, did you know it was Jesus' idea to go out on the lake during that particular time? I just wonder sometimes, like, what was the fisherman that didn't say to him, like, hey, there's probably going to be a storm because it's between noon and six, so perhaps we shouldn't. By the way, during this particular time, his, biblical history, historians tell us that chronologists actually tell us this, that, that in, uh, in summertime, when those storms converge, when those winds converge, they're strong. They really are. They'll batter stuff around. But in the wintertime, they can say that they're 50% stronger. 
in Bible chronologists tell us that this particular passage of Scripture was written between uh, February and March, right in the dead of winter. So in other words, this was a big storm. How do I know it was a big storm? How do I know it was the, one of the biggest storms of their life? Here's why. Because a bunch of fishermen asked the carpenter for help. <laughs> the, to me, it wasn't a lot of rocket science there, right? A bunch of fishermen are like, hey, got a problem, right? Asking a carpenter for a little help. Let me tell you, fishermen don't ask for help, especially from a guy who's not a fisherman. This was the biggest storm of their life. In my opinion, I think it was one of the biggest ones they had faced. They're trying to figure out how to navigate this journey, how to make it through. Here's the crazy thing. Maybe you're experiencing one of the biggest storms of your life today. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of a big storm. Maybe you're having an emotional storm that, that you thought was just fine. You had dealt with that already, but it's showing up again and it's beating you up. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're in an, a, a financial storm. And you hear Kari come up here and pastorally lead us and say, you know what, let's just trust Jesus with our finances. And you're like, you have no idea, sister. The storm I'm in is about ready to take me under. Hmm. Let's read it. How do we navigate through these storms of life? How do you find Selah in the midst of a storm? Number one. How do you find Selah in the midst of a storm? Number one. I'm just going to read the first sentence, verse 35. We're going to do a whole sermon on one sentence. Ready? Here we go. How do you navigate through the storms and find Selah in the middle of it? Number one, recognize the night. Recognize the night. Verse 35 says, as evening came. As evening came. Recognize the night. The storms rose between noon and six. This was a strong one. Too many of us missed the night. We, we miss it. We, we kind of tend to think that we're just going to navigate through life and we, we don't recognize the night. We don't recognize the time and seasons. We don't recognize that, that this is the time that difficult things happen. So some of, you, some of you haven't realized that when you're super tired and you haven't slept a lot and you haven't eaten any dinner, it's not a really good time to talk to your spouse about finances. Some of your spouses are like, tell him, would you? <laughs> Recognize the night. Watch what's going on. <laughs> Recognize the night. Man, night comes in. Listen to this. You know what night's supposed to do? Night can be lonely, but it's supposed to be rejuvenating. Night can be fearful, but it's supposed to be restful. Night can be worrisome, but it's supposed to be peaceful. Sila, pause and think. Man, when the, when, when, the, when the night comes, when you start to feel the night close in around you and the calm before the storm begins to happen, it's at that point that you say to yourself, hang on. Let me think about what's about to happen here. And maybe you get a chance. Maybe you get a little bit of warning. I don't know. But recognize the night. Try to recognize the signs before the storms hit you as best you possibly can. More often than not, you don't get to get a lot of chance. But, but, but oftentimes, you can kind of feel the, feel the wind start to pick up. And when you do, recognize the night. Recognize it for what it is. In other words, don't believe that the sky is falling on you. Too many of us react to the point where we don't realize that, that it's just a storm, and storms have a season, storms have a few hours, and then storms are going to be over. Recognize it for what it is. It's too often. Polly and I will get into a little bit of a, um, a discussion. It's funny, my, my, daughter, my daughter and her husband call them talks or discussions. I'm like, no, we call them arguments, I'm telling you. So, I don't know. But nevertheless, recognize it for what it is. It's not the end of the world. It's just a thing you got to get through. Recognize it for what it is and, and journey the course correctly. Stay in bounds. Don't do anything stupid, but recognize it for what it is. Recognize the night. 
Philippians 4.8 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right. Think about things that are pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Put into practice all that you've heard me and, and heard from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. Number two, how do you find Selah in the storm? Number two, watch and learn. Watch and learn. Verse 35 says this, And Jesus said to his disciples, now, many of us think when we read this passage of Scripture that it was Jesus and 12 of his closest buddies, and that was it. You keep on reading, and maybe some of you caught that little, little notation that it says there were other boats with them. It says Jesus and his disciples and other boats with them. Now, when you see the word disciples in the Bible, again, sometimes English translations, I think, mess it up. When we get this idea that they're, they're, like, there were only 12. The, the word disciple actually means learner means learner. Literally, there were crowds of people. We know that at some points there were thousands of people. Remember Jesus went to the other side, thousands of his friends showed up. So there were thousands. The Bible said that Jesus says to his disciples, let's get into the boat and go to the other side, right? In other words, there were probably his 12 disciples and several others who were actually disciples. You know there's a difference between being a disciple and a crowd participant? You know what the difference is, right? Disciples actually learn. Crowds just follow. Disciples actually learn. Disciples tell themselves at some point, I've got to learn this. I've got to apply this to my life. Disciples choose to learn. Disciples say, listen, I'm not going to allow my feelings and emotions to get in the middle of this thing because I've got to learn what you're saying. And you know what crowd participants do? They just walk it. They just go to the circus. They want to see the guy up there doing magic tricks. Go ahead, preacher, make me happy. It's like when people come and say to me, Pastor, I'm leaving the church because I, I don't feel fed here. I want to say, my, God, my, my job is not to feed you. My job is to equip you to feed yourself. And oftentimes we kind of tend to think that's why we should go to a church. Just for the length of time we go to our church is somehow to, to, to find that that guy's going to feed us or that gal is going to feed us. Don't go to the church for that. Go to the church to learn how to eat so that you can feed yourself and you can teach someone else. Somebody say amen. 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 Remember, I'm just a Christian doing my job. How about you? Come on. Where do I go to church? You know where I go to church? Here. I, don't, I haven't found the preacher church yet. Looking for it, right? Problem is I go to the preacher church and want to say something. That'd be a terrible church to go to, man. Everybody, hey, I got something to say. Me too. Yeah, me too. Me too. Don't go to that church. Finding Selah in the storm. Watch and learn. Be a disciple. You know what's interesting to me? Do you realize that, that Jesus didn't stop every storm? You realize that? God, God didn't stop every storm in the Bible. I don't know if you remember this guy named the Apostle Paul. Paul, remember him? Paul the Apostle who wrote like three quarters of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that he was out on a boat one time, the weather got crazy, <laughs> and then the boat broke up, and like everyone was in the water, and Paul's like, <laughs> actually, while the weather was getting crazy, Paul said, eat something, boat's about to shipwreck. And so he tells everybody to eat something. They're like, why should we eat something now? He said, because you're going to be swimming. You need some strength. Literally, they all get into the water. And you know, there's another time that, that Jonah was in a boat, right? And, and he got thrown overboard after a big storm. See, not every boat was like left around to be calmed by a storm, to be calmed by God. Sometimes God allows storms. I think storms sometimes are for really one of two things to chasten or to strengthen. I think in Paul's, in Paul's situation, it was to strengthen him. 
Jonah's, it was to chasten him. Maybe you find yourself in a storm today. Maybe God is strengthening you in a storm. Maybe it's not this some sort of a, God's super mad at you and it's this some sort of a judgment-induced storm. Maybe it's just a storm to strengthen you. For God to give you the courage, right? How do you, remember, I've said this before. When you go to the gym and you, and you want to get stronger, what do you do? You lift heavy things that make you stronger. And the more heavy things you lift, the heavier they are, the more strong you become. God may be bringing you into a storm of life to strengthen you and not to chasten you. Chasten means to discipline. But you may be in a storm that God is wanting to chasten you in. And like Jonah, he's saying, I want you to go the other way. Hmm. Number three, how do you find Selah in a storm? Don't stop halfway across. I love this. Jesus never intended to get them out to the middle of the water and then say, good luck with that. Can I tell you what Jesus said to his disciples at the beginning of verse 35? Hey guys, let's go to the other side. Can I tell you this? Jesus may not stop the storm in your life, but I can tell you, he will get you to the other side because that's what he wants to do. I would love it if I were here to tell you this morning, hey, listen, God's gonna stop all your storms. Just do these three things, three things. And these three things are gonna stop all the storms. I'd be lying to you. That'd be horrible. Don't, go, don't listen to that guy. He's not gonna stop your storms, but he'll be with you in the middle of them. He'll fill you with courage. He'll give you strength to navigate. He'll become the sila in your storm. Why? Because he is peace. Why was Jesus able to take a nap? I think one, he was super tired, but two, because he trusted God. He knew what the outcome was. Can I tell you this? The same Jesus can be living in your boat right now. I think some of you are so exhausted because you're just, you're just beating against the wind and the waves and you're trying to roar as hard as you can and you've forgotten that Some of you feel like Jesus is just taking a nap in your boat. He's not taking a nap. Jesus, let me tell you this. Jesus is there because he wants to give you peace in the middle of the storm. He's not laughing at you saying, row harder. You know what he's saying? Stop it. Rest in it. Sila. Fermata. Trust me. Jesus, this morning we come. I just have this sense in my heart that this is a holy moment. Guys, I really feel like the Spirit of God is here right now. It's a holy moment. He's speaking to some of you today. Just quietly, can you just put your pens and notebooks and Bibles down? Just sit there. Just sit in Selah right now. I just want Laura to play through the song just for a minute as she's playing. Just for a few minutes, will you just sit in Selah? kinds of reasons you should try to fix this thing, all kinds of ways you can try to come up with answers, but can you just sit, be still, and know that he is God.
Pray, be so bold as to say that some of you need to ask God for forgiveness. And just say, Jesus, forgive me for trying to write this shit myself, for trying to answer my problem all alone. Just forgive me for trying to fix my marriage. Fix, forgive me for trying to come up with all the fixes and just surrender to him. Just tell him, Jesus, I surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.